Some of you may or may not know that today is uh, my installation service, and we have some guests with us today, and one of them is Dan Scarrow, our DS, and Dan, I'm in, we met back in December. Dan gave me a call. I happened to be in Florida at the time, and it was 70 degrees, and uh, he called and said, hey, um, I've talked to your DS, and, and we've talked and prayed together, and we've decided that we would like to have you at least consider coming to Point Way Church in Baxter. And so Dan says, would it be all right if I forward your application on to, to Point Way here to the elders? And uh, I said, yes. And uh, God's used that ever since. But God used Dan um, through that process, and he's uh, part of the reason uh, that we are here, PJ and I, here today. And so uh, Dan and I are still getting to know each other as he's relatively new to the district, and we haven't gotten a chance to spend much time together. I did enjoy uh, Dan at the D, um, district uh, conference and getting to hear him speak and getting to know him a little bit, but looking forward to what he has to say this morning. So Dan, if you'll come and share with us this morning. Thank you, Charles. Hey, Point Way. You're awake. That's good. I'm glad you're here. It's a joy to be here with you. Clearly, you live in the most beautiful part of Minnesota, as I once again realized driving up here. And uh, actually, all of Minnesota is beautiful. That's been my experience. I've gotten to see uh, thousands of miles of it in the last few months, and uh, I like it. Gotten to see some of South Dakota and North Dakota as well. It is a joy to be here with you, and uh, this morning as we're worshiping together, it's possible that we have some with us uh, for the first time in a church or the first time back in a long time from church. I don't know any of you, so I don't know if you're all here all the time, but when we worship together, that's an opportunity. For those of you that are kind of new to this environment or new a long time, you've not been back, uh, worship is just a chance to remind ourselves of who God is. And that's why we spend the early parts of a service really reminding ourselves, because I know all of you have a busy week, don't you? And if your week's anything like mine, it's crazy, and you come in on Sunday, and it's a great time to remind yourself, oh yeah, God's alive, and He's still in charge, and He's still taking care of me, and He's taking care of my life. And that's why we worship together. And in this next little bit, Tony and I are going to share some time with you out of the Word and just challenging you. And the reason we do that, if you're new to church or the first time in a long time, we believe that the Bible has a lot to say about how to live life. And so we spend some time in God's Word and prepares us for the next week because uh, in the absence of some guideline, life gets a little fuzzy, doesn't it? And sometimes it's hard to know how to behave and how to think. And so it's wonderful to come back and settle ourselves in God's Word and realize, oh yeah, there's a standard for how we behave, how we parent, how we work, how we treat our friends. So in these next minutes, uh, I want to just give you an opportunity to think about the idea of being chosen. Did you know that every single one of you in this room have been chosen? The reason you're here is because for whatever reason in the mystery of God, He found you someplace in your journey, and He reached out, and He put His hand on your shoulder, and He and He chose you. He called you. The reason you're sitting here is because Jesus saw you in whatever condition your life was in and realized that you needed Him. And the exchange that happened was that you realized you needed Him, and that's the reason you're sitting here. Chosen is a pretty cool thing. I don't know if you realized how cool it is to be chosen. Any of you remember when I was a kid, and you're looking at me, you think, all of you look pretty young. You're thinking, you're an old dude. 
Um, when I was young, in first grade, we used to play a game called dodgeball. So I'm guessing you probably still play that, yes? Yeah? Sort of, maybe? Dodgeball is an outstanding game where you pick teams and you try to hurt one I mean, uh, you throw balls at one another. And uh, when I was in first grade, um, I went to, uh, like all first graders, a brand new school. So I knew none of these kids. And uh, we're out there uh, at recess time, which of course was my favorite time of the school. And uh, they were picking teams. And here's what all of us are thinking when teams are being chosen, whether it's for dodgeball or whatever. I don't want to be the last one chosen, right? Have you ever had that experience? And so I was, I'll be honest with you, I was first grade, didn't know any of these kids, and that was the thought that was running through my mind. Don't choose me last, because that's not cool. So they started choosing teams, and one guy got chosen, and one girl got chosen, and I was thinking, uh-oh, you know, there wasn't that many of us, there's about 15 of us, and uh, I got chosen third. Yes, not last. I did this on the inside. On the outside, I was cool, you know, as a first grade boy, you're supposed to keep your cool. I sauntered over to the other side, my team. But I had been chosen. I still remember that feeling. It wasn't the last time that happened. I remember uh, other occasions when I've been chosen for something. Not the least of which was my wife who said yes at a key time in our journey and chose me. That was cool. All of you in this room have been chosen. You know the experience of what it's like to have be chosen for something or for some relationship or for a job or for a sport. You sit here this morning because you have been chosen for whatever reason. In the mystery of God, you have been chosen at this time and in this place for something God is about to do here. Did you know that? It's not accidental that you're here. And the reason we're here today is to celebrate a new beginning. Charlie and PJ have come to be part of your family, and today we're celebrating something new that God is doing. And you're a key part of that. You were chosen long before Charlie and PJ ever got here to do what God's going to do in Baxter and Brainerd. The idea of being chosen goes back a long, long way. And if you have your Bible, I want to just walk you through very quickly a story and a couple of ideas about being chosen and why it's important. A story that we find in the Old Testament, if you'll turn in your Bibles, I had uh, eye surgery about three weeks ago, and my eyes are doing weird things, so you all look a little fuzzy at the moment. I have this disconcerting uh, day where it's good for a while, and then it's not good for a while. So right now, not so good. 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we're going to be. And 1 Samuel chapter 16 is an Old Testament story that I want to tell you about really two people, two men and God. Those are the characters in this story. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we run into the first resonate with that, two characters. One of the characters in this story is an old guy. And some of you resonate with that. You know what old guy or old gal feels like. And there was a really, really young person in this story. And some of you resonate with that. You feel a little bit younger. You are a little bit younger. So two key people in this story. These are two men that were chosen to do something that God wanted them to do. And we join the story because somebody else that God had chosen 
had not done what God asked him to do. God had chosen a king over all of Israel, and his name was Saul, and he had not done the job that God had asked him to do. And what happens is when you don't do what God asks you to do, he lifts his hand from you and he invites somebody else to do it. And that's really what's at stake for you as you think about your role and what God is doing here. If you're not going to be God's people in this time and this place, God's going to lift his hand and find somebody else that will do his job for him. And that was the truth about Saul. So we enter the story as Saul is on his way out. And the Lord is speaking to an old guy named Samuel. He was a prophet. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons. By the way, if you lived back then, you would know that Nobody knew who Jesse was, and nobody really knew who his sons were, and probably Samuel vaguely knew about this person. So he was scratching his head like, Lord, what are you up to? So the Lord speaks to this old guy and says, go do something. And it seems weird, and it seems odd, and Lord, are you sure? It's interesting, just if you're, gonna, if you're a note taker, some of you are, and some of you aren't, I get that. If you're going to jot notes down, here's a thought to jot down about being chosen and walking with God. God chooses his people and his leaders from unlikely places. Bethlehem, where was that? Nobody knew. Who was Jesse? Nobody knew. One of his sons, who was that? Nobody knew who it was. And you may feel as you sit here this morning, wow, I'm an unlikely person to do something for God. You might feel like, Dan, you don't know what my life is like when I'm not here. Maybe you're Maybe you're not perfect. I know that's hard to imagine. But maybe you've got some strengths and weaknesses. Maybe you've got some sin. Maybe you've got things going on in your life. Maybe you're too young. Some of you are sitting in here and you're 10 or 9 or 8 or 7. Some of you are 14, 15, 18, and you think, well, maybe I'm too young. Not true. You're never too young to do what God asks. Like a very do. Some of you feel too old. You're like, well, I don't have any energy left. I don't seem like a very likely person to be chosen for the Lord. That's not true either because the Bible is full of old people. I'm one of them now. Older people who do things for God. So don't give those excuses. You may think, well, I'm not talented enough. Well, that's not true either because God can use anybody. God chooses people from unlikely places to do what he's asked them to do. And so he says to Samuel, "Go go to this place Find this person and do what I've asked you to do. But Samuel responded like all of us respond when God asks us to do something that we're not sure about, we're not sure if he's right, and we're sure is kind of a little scary. Samuel's response is interesting to me in this passage because this is what he said. How can I go? Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And this was true, by the way. In that day and age, if this king got upset with you, you were in trouble. It's not like nowadays. And so Samuel's fear was justified. He could die. God has you guys, every single one of you here because he's up to something in this place. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to use you to do it. This entire area needs to have its spiritual temperature changed by God's people. There are a lot of people in this area who are hurting, marriages who are suffering, 
people who are on the verge of just walking out of their life for whatever reason, you know that's true. And that's the reason you're here. And here's what I know about you. That's scary. And you're going to find every excuse to not do it. Because it's frightening. Good news, there's been a long history that came before you who were God followers who felt the same thing. And Samuel was a prophet. And he said, wait, 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 wait. I don't think I can do this. Here's a little something to jot down. The invitation to follow God is going to require difficulty and danger. Period. Don't ever let anybody tell you anything different. Following Jesus will make you uncomfortable. Doing what he asks you to do will be difficult. Because our job is to push back darkness with the light of Jesus. And there's no part of that that's easy. In fact, coming to church is the easiest part of what you do for Jesus. So, Samuel complained to the Lord like we all do. He whined, sniveled. I don't don't suppose any of you have ever done that, but I'm just saying you might have. The Lord said, the Lord just kind of ignored him and said, all right, take a heifer with you, and I say I've come to sacrifice for the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and here's the best phrase in this, in this verse, and I will show you what to do. God chooses unlikely people to do unlikely things for his kingdom. He chooses them because he knows best. He chooses you to do unlikely things that are difficult, And then the most important thing is that he strengthens you for the task. If you're going to be God's people in this time and this place for whatever God is doing, at school, at work, in your family, because you got weird people in your family, don't you? And they need Jesus. And you have weird people at work, don't you? Yep. God's up to something. And he's going to strengthen you. If you're going to work on Monday and you don't know how to be God's person, fine, not a problem. On the way to work, say, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. And remember, I will show you what to do. That's what God has always said to God's people. So jump down, verse 6. When they arrived, find out in the next verse, Eliab, and thought to himself, oh, surely that's the Lord's anointed. And if we find out in the next verse why he thought that, uh, because he thought that Eliab was handsome and tall and probably muscular and all the right makings for the next king. And that's what we tend to think. That's God's, if people are going to do great things for God, they need to look a certain way. They need to have certain skills. And guess what? None of that's true. Because the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his height, his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. I bet that hurt. I wonder how much counseling Eliab needed for that line right there. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's leaders, that's you, are chosen for God's reasons. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to have a certain skill set. All you need to be able to do is say yes. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, nope, the Lord hasn't chosen that one. And then all of Jesse's sons come along in the next verses. 
And they all parade in front of Samuel, and the Lord says what? No to all of them. And I'm sure they were all tall, handsome, very gifted, very skilled, very likely good king material, but God said no. And so Samuel turns to Jesse and says, are these all of them? Do you have any other sons? And you can almost see Jesse do this. Oh, yeah. The youngest, who, by the way, was a teenager. A teenager to be the king of a country. He says, yeah, he's out leading the sheep around. Jesse didn't even think that David was qualified enough to even show up. That all he was good for was leading sheep around. And yet God had a different plan. For some of you who think that you're unqualified, this is a great lesson. You should spend some time right here thinking about this. If God is up to something, he needs everyone. Even if you think you're unqualified. So Samuel said, send for him and we'll sit down. we will not sit down until you arrive. So they sent for him and brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Chasing sheep around must be good for your health. That's my conclusion. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And this is my favorite part of this entire passage. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. With a new pastor, but God's been doing something. God is up to something here. We're at a new beginning with a new pastor, but God's been doing stuff before Charlie and PJ ever got here. We're just marking the beginning of a new chapter. And God has invited you for whatever reason, and you might think God is absolutely crazy for inviting you and me into this, but he's invited us to be his people at this time in the history of the world in this place. Does that boggle your mind? If it doesn't, you haven't thought about it. You are God's chosen people for this place and this time because this city, Baxter in particular, and Brainerd in general, desperately needs the light of Jesus. And the only way that happens is if God's people say yes when they are chosen. You know it's possible for you to show up every Sunday and not say yes? It's possible for you to sit here and listen to good messages and sing good songs and never say yes to call of God. So here's the reason I'm actually here today. God is doing something new. And I want to ask you personally, if you're ready to say yes to whatever God is up to. Not, will I show up on Sunday? But yes. Whatever with you, through you, and in you in this next season. God, I know with all my heart that God is up to something good. And He plans for impact in this town through you even if you feel under or unqualified. The only question you've got to answer is, will I say yes? Two men, one old, one young, they both said yes. And God did something. And that's the way God works. File that away as Tony comes and shares something else with us here. Thanks, Tony.
I'm Tony. I'm the pastor at the Verndale Alliance Church. Uh, about a month or so ago, I was in my office. We were hosting the area prayer gathering of pastors, and I thought from down the hall, I heard the sound of an angel's voice carrying down the hall. I'd never heard an angel's voice before, uh, but was quite certain I was hearing one now. I grew up in western Pennsylvania uh, and southern and western New York, and I heard that accent come wafting down the hall. And I knew right away that Charles and I were going to be friends, and so we, uh, we did connect, and I was uh, happy to uh, accept the opportunity to come and to share uh, just briefly a challenge for Charles as he takes on this new task. And so I'll be preaching to him, but you can all listen in if you'd like to. As I thought about this morning, uh, my mind went back to the first uh, few months of my own uh, pastoral ministry. Uh, I've been doing this for uh, 15 years or so full-time, about 20 years total. And in the early months of my ministry, I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, visiting my wife's grandparents. And uh, her grandfather retired from Back to the Bible. And so we were over at the Back to the Bible headquarters, kind of touring around there. And I saw the pictures of all of the past presidents of Back to the Bible. And we came to one of my favorite commentators in all the world, Warren Wearsby's picture was hanging there. And I said uh, to, to my wife's grandfather, I said, is, is Warren still around in Lincoln? And he says, oh yeah, he's retired now, but he lives here in Lincoln still. And I said, well, we have to see him. And he goes, well, you just don't see uh, Warren Wearsby. You don't get to do that. And I said, no, let's go check with the receptionist and see maybe, he's, maybe he pops in from time to time. So we went up to the receptionist and, and uh, I made her call him at home. And she, hand, she dialed it and then handed the phone to my wife's grandfather, who was at this point uh, mortified at this opportunity. And so he gets on the phone, and, and it's an exchange with Mrs. Wearsby, uh, and he hangs up and says, he'll meet you here tomorrow for lunch. And so, great. So he came over, and, and we sat down for a couple of hours together and, and visited. And it was invaluable to me as an early, uh, a new pastor. And throughout the conversation, my, my wife's grandfather would lean in uh, rather uh, sheepishly every few minutes and say, Tony, I think we've taken enough of Mr. Wearsby's time now. And then he would lean back out while uh, we continued to talk. And finally, after this had gone on a few times, uh, Warren Wearsby says to uh, Grandpa, he says, He's not taking my time. I'm investing it. And then we finished our conversation. At the end of that conversation, he summarized all of his life and ministry and his writing career and his work at Back to the Bible and his speaking towards. He summarized it this way. He says, he says Tony, as you start out on this, this adventure of, of preaching, of being a pastor to God's people, just remember to preach, pray, and plug away. And I was... Struck by that in its simplicity, coming from someone who uh, swam in the deep end of the pool most of his life, theologically and spiritually and ministry speaking. And he, he could summarize it to those. And so I'm going I'm to borrow uh, Warren's outline just quickly for Charles this morning uh, and share with you a couple of reminders from that conversation. First of all, uh, don't settle for spending time with these people. Insist on investing time with your congregation. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, Paul talks about uh, the offices that God has given to the church, and he lists some pretty grand and high offices, and right in there with that list is pastor. And he says in that passage in Ephesians chapter 4 that he gave these offices to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, until everyone comes to maturity and unity in Christ. 
And if we as pastors, Charles, if you and I are simply content to spend time, to meet the obligation of time with the people, we are not going to be reaping the harvest that God would have us to do. This is a job, this, this role of pastor is a people business. Whatever other roles we're called to fill, administrative and, and counselor and all these different roles, at the end of the day, it comes back to God's people. And so we need to be about investing our time. The second thing that Warren Wearsby said that day was to preach, and I would add to that, to preach with purpose. Paul writes about this when he writes to the young pastor. Uh, in 2 Timothy, he writes to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. As we think about that and we think about the idea of preaching with purpose, we have to remember that preaching is a solemn work. It's a solemn calling and task to preach the Word of God to a group of people. And so I would just encourage you, Charles, to put in the work it takes. In this day and age, it is very, very easy to be a lazy preacher and come across as if you somehow prepared. Don't get lazy with the Word of God. He is telling Timothy and he tells us that it is a solemn charge to preach the Word. Don't outsmart yourself. <laughs> and you know this. I'm, and for those of you, I'm telling Charles things he knows. But I wanted to remind him at this new beginning, as Dan said. And so don't outsmart yourself in this idea of preaching. Our clever ideas, the, the shifting wind of culture, the, the latest trends, all of those, they may be helpful in informing what we're doing. But at the end of the day, we preach the Word of God. As Paul says elsewhere in his writings, we take what was given to us and we hand it down to the next. And so we want to be a people who preach. He talks about in this passage about preaching even when it's not convenient. He talks about not shying away from the hard places, the difficult conversation, the difficult moment to apply the Word of God. Our preaching ministry is not the means by which we garner popularity. It's not the means by which we endear ourselves to people. It's the means by which we bring the Word of God to bear in their life. And he talks about being patient and loving and compassionate in that. The third advice for you and the reminder is to pray. And I would say to pray like your life depends on it because your ministry absolutely does. I'm pleased to see that one of the values you have as a church here is prayer. I was glad to see that it becomes a part of your service that matters and means something. The Word of God and prayer are indispensable to the pastor. Every other resource and tool and skill set you could have could be taken from you in a moment, but if you still have the Word of God and access to the throne, you have something. And so here again, I would just encourage you to pray the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul asked the people there to pray for him that he might have boldness to speak as he ought to speak. And it always strikes me whenever I read where Paul asked for prayer for himself because we would like to think that if anybody figured it out how to get this job done without any, you know, time spent. And so I would, would be Paul and he's asking the church to pray for him in that sixth chapter. And so I would just encourage you, Charles, to surround yourself and list others to pray for you. 
don't neglect uh, your own time at the throne. In my early ministry, when I first started, I always, uh, a little bit ashamedly now, would feel awkward if people would come up to me and say, let me pray for you, Pastor. Because I felt like somehow I had to have everything organized in a way that didn't require that. And I've learned in ministry that it's now one of the most precious realities when someone comes up from your congregation or community and says, I want to pray for you. It humanizes the pastor to remember that we need to depend on God in prayer for our personal situations, for church situations. And so I encourage you to to remember to pray as if your life depended on it. Kingdom work is a divine work and requires divine direction from the throne. Not from the boardroom, not from the pastor's study, but direction from the throne. So be a pastor who's praying. And then the last one is one of my favorites that he said that afternoon, to plug away. And you might wonder to yourself, well, how in the world does that even find its way into the Bible? But I found it. Paul talks about it right here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 again in verses 7 and 8. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. I would just say this about the advice of plugging away, Charles, and that is that ministry requires the long view. This is a role that seldom enjoys instant gratification. The payoff in ministry is not very often in the next moment after the words fall out of your lips. It is a lifetime of investment. It is a willingness to find God at work in the small places. It's a willingness to find God at work in in the incremental inches of life. And He is good and gracious, and there are times where we get to ride on His wave over great distance in ministry, and, and we see amazing things happen. But remember to plug away. Remember, as Paul writes, to, to, to run the race, to be willing to make the investments for a payoff on that day and leaving the results in this day to him. And so I just encourage you to, to plug away in that. As you consider that, I want to just end with one of the verses that I find the most encouragement in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As Paul concludes that chapter and and comes to uh, near the end of this letter, and you think about this morning, Charles, of what it is to invest in people and not just spend time with what it is to preach with purpose and to pray with with dependence and to plug away with faithfulness, all of that can be an exhausting reality. All of that can leave you in, in a place where you sometimes might wonder, as I have in my ministry, is it really worth it? Is it worth this? And then Paul writes this at the conclusion of that 15th chapter. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so, Charles and PJ, I just encourage you. I I am grateful you're here. And I encourage you to keep the king in front of you. Uh, Keep his people in your heart and to continue to do the work because it's his. Thank you. Well, today is one of those strange days, Installation Sunday. What does that mean? Have you wondered that? Like, are there batteries involved? If this doesn't go well, what's going to happen?
Installation Sunday is really just a day when all together we say yes to whatever God is up to. Uh, Charlie and PJ have said yes to be here. You have said whatever God to them. And corporately today what we're doing is saying yes to whatever God is up to. And the way we're going to do that together is very simple. It doesn't involve batteries. I'm going to involve, invite Charlie and PJ to come up, stand right here, and uh, anybody who's able and would like to, you're a part of this team, and you're saying yes to what God is up to as well. And I want to invite you to come up and find a place to put a hand on these two or somebody close by, and we're just going to pray together. That's all we're going to do. Yeah, stepping up a little bit would probably be good. There you go. I'm going to pray out loud, but you pray in your heart, or you can pray out loud too. I don't, I don't care. Uh, we're just going to ask the Lord to do what He wants to do through all of us. Lord, we thank You for the privilege of being a family. We thank You for the privilege of being chosen, even on the days we don't want to be chosen, Lord. And there are those days. We thank You. For whatever reason, long before we got to this day, You knew that we would stand here and we would celebrate that Charlie and PJ are here, but we would also, and probably even more importantly, celebrate that you're up to something. And so as we stand here in this circle, we've wandered into your throne room. That's still amazing to me that we can just walk into your throne room and stand here together. Lord, we want to lift our hearts, our hands, our eyes, our minds, and say yes. Whatever you're up to, yes. Even if it scares us, yes. Lord, we want to be your people in this place for this time to do whatever you need us to do. Because we know that there are broken, hurting people. There are marriages filled with darkness. There are people who are thinking really dark thoughts about their life, making dark choices. And what they desperately need is the king and the kingdom. So Jesus, together, today we celebrate the new path, and we say yes, in the name of Jesus, amen.